Hey, everybody, this is Lance Dixon from the virtual campus of St. Mary's University in Calgary. On this podcast, you will hear a conversation between myself and Father Christino Bouvet, who leads young adult and university chaplaincy for the Diocese of Calgary. In this conversation, Father Christino spoke about the three most common questions people have been asking him during this pandemic, whether he thinks this pandemic is actually true, whether he believes the pandemic is a punishment from God, and how he feels the church has been responding to this global crisis. Now, I can tell you Father Cristino was careful to look at these questions from different perspectives and in the process gave some pretty thought-provoking responses. As a result, this will be the first time a Finding Faith podcast features an unedited, full-length conversation. So I, I hope you enjoy the format. It's not polished, but it gives you the benefit of hearing everything Father Cristino offered. And for us who are trying to find faith in the midst of these many questions we are wrestling with in these uncertain times, I hope you will find it as helpful as I found being a part of it. Now, unfortunately, I must make a confession that every podcaster dreads. I somehow got distracted and forgot to press record until we were five minutes into the conversation. So, you as listeners are coming in just as Father Cristino is beginning to explain what he thinks is motivating people to question the truth behind this pandemic. We live in such an unstable and unpredictable culture. And that is part of what I would say fuels my ministry in the first place, is reminding people of what is supposed to be the stability found in faith in Christ and in the worship of God through the tradition of our church. These are supposed to be our rocks. Uh, and so we don't have to be so shaken by the unpredictability or the evil of the world, uh, precisely because we have these rocks to cling to and to uh, lay a foundation for ourselves. So on that hand of dealing with the question of conspiracy, I don't think it's fair to just dismiss it. But then I, I think I've been introduced to a helpful distinction uh, between what some have called the categories of reality and the categories of the mind. Hmm. And I, I usually say to them, look, I have a lot of family in Italy. Uh, this virus is real. This, we can't dispute this. I, I know that this is causing uh, harm and death to people. Uh, now you don't even need to look overseas. You can look in our backyard. So that's a category of reality. Now, the category of the mind is how do we react intellectually to a reality as presented to us? Now, that is open for debate, obviously, because even different places in the world and different jurisdictions inside of certain countries react differently to the same reality. So if we want to talk about the reactions of the world, then that's fine. That's another, that's a whole other uh, uh, ball game. But we have to admit of what would appear to be just evident before our, our eyes. So that's sort of the, the approach I would take in that first general category about, you know, do you think any of this is even true? Mm. I, I think that's really helpful. Um, uh, you know, just going back to your point about creating a space where people can ask the questions uh, openly, um, process 
their concerns or their misgivings. I mean, I think it really comes down to trust, doesn't it? Of, of, mm-hmm. of building a culture of trust that mm-hmm. we're in this together, that transparency is important. And, and, and if you have questions or doubts about what's going on, uh, let's talk about them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, no, that's, that's a really good response. It, and it leads to the third question. We'll jump back to, back to the second one that you raised. And that is the, uh, the reaction of the church in the world towards this. Um, people are, are, are asking questions. Um, um, should we be trusting in the direction that our leaders are taking us? Is this the right response? How do you find yourself um, helping people navigate uh, those questions? And, and just as an example, I'll, I'll just give this to you. It's, a, you know, it's kind of anecdotal to the U.S. I don't see the same conflict arising in Canada. We can kind of have a whole other discussion as to why or why not. <laughs> but we're certainly seeing in the States, even around freedom of, 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 of religion and, and gathering. I mean, churches are defying, some, some local churches are defying their, their state sort of mandate to, to not gather. And they're saying, hey, you know, this isn't the right way to go. This is, you know, and then we are hearing political and economic leaders saying, well, no, we need to reopen the economy and, and, and we're, we're doing more, more harm than good by insisting on this social distancing uh, for the sake of a few, and and yet our own diocese here in Calgary has stayed pretty close to what our health experts are are advising. So, mm-hmm. so how do you help people kind of navigate all those questions around authority and leadership and and building trust uh, right. in in and where things are going and 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 finding faith in the midst of all that? Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting. Uh, I've always I, I'm, I'm always uh, remiss to when I quote a famous saying, because you're never sure who exactly said it, but there is a, a saying that uh, in a democracy, you get the government you deserve. And I think that <laughs> that's, that's the point that, that what has plagued people now for a long time is what would appear to be the consistent disappointment in democratically elected government. The entire reason governments change over, change political parties and different spectrums uh, is because it lasts for a little while. But then there's uh, at least enough of a majority to say that we don't like this anymore or you've let us all down or you've been a huge disappointment uh, that they swing in, uh, to another side or try out something different. Uh, and it it points to two things. I think there is on the one hand. Uh, the unwillingness to accept the limitations of human reality. Um, if you can't accept that this government is not going to be God and step in and put perfect order to the rest of your existence, then you shouldn't have bothered participating in the democratic process. Mm. And the second thing is that there's, I think it's a, uh, an unrealistic expectation of what happens to a person when they're elected to public office. Uh, that somehow they have undergone some kind of ontological change uh, by virtue of receiving a certain number of votes mm-hmm. that's going to now demand from them uh, a different way of being. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, that's, that's not, you can't expect that. Uh, so on the one hand, you have people the world over 
who are plagued by this consistent reaction to democracy of letting them down and being surprised. So it's what's surprising to me is that we keep being surprised by the same outcomes <laughs> that we're disappointed in you. But on the other hand, it's still insisting that this is absolutely the surest way to defend our freedom. And mm. so I think people, the, the, the lack of trust comes from the experience of assuming they shouldn't have been disappointed. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is to that, uh, because I think you, you stop being disappointed when you go into something assuming it's not going to be all that you hoped it would be. Mm. Uh, and that it's not going to be the be-all and end-all. And I have observed, I would say especially in, in Canada, in our political leaders at this time, a, an element of some humility mm. that is mm. being sometimes misinterpreted as incompetence mm. uh, because they come up and say, hey, you know what, everyone? The thing we said last week, it doesn't look like that's that's actually going to happen or it doesn't look like that's right mm -hmm. anymore. Well, that's a reasonable thing, because mm -hmm. when you're dealing with something that you don't really understand or that you've never personally dealt with before, how can you expect to know exactly what to do? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that there needs to be room to, to let people waffle a little bit mm. and not assume that they're waffling because of incompetence or maliciousness, uh, but that they are just like you. They are human beings who happened to be asked to take on a task of public service who don't have any better knowledge than you do uh, to go off of as to what's the next best step. And so as, as communities trying to live faithfully and live within this imperfect democracy, our response is to cooperate with the, the leaders, recognizing their humility. They don't have the answers. Um, is, that, is, that our, is that our best response? Uh, or, or should we say, well, let's just put our faith in God because we can't trust our democratic leaders in, you know, in, the, in these times of crises uh, like we are seeing in some churches? Uh, right. You know. Well, I don't think, I think it's not meant to be an either or. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to remain in a, in a political system, then you either rationally and peacefully agitate for the change you hope to see, or you just accept the limitations of what you chose to have. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always say to people it, who tell me, oh, I didn't even bother voting. So, well, then don't open your mouth. <laughs> if, right. you're, if you didn't vote, don't complain mm -hmm. about who you have, because it's, it's not fair then for you to even have commented. But for us to say, well, then I won't have anything to do with any of it, and I'll just place all my faith in God. Okay, that's fine. But where are you? Mm. You're on earth. Mm. You're, you're not in heaven. Mm. So in the meantime, you have to make do with existing where God has chosen to keep you. Mm. And that's why to say that I'm just going to place all my faith in God as if that is the alternative to finding a way of cooperating in an orderly way mm. in the society in which you live, but that's a false dichotomy. Mm. It's not as though you can make it an either or. Mm. We need to do both. Mm. We need to place all our faith in God because we will not be here forever. Mm. And this is what I have found troubling on the part of the church's response. I think in some respects, the church has adopted 
a stance, if I want to call it that, or a disposition towards some ambivalence, towards seeming to have the right to speak on everything. I think people have become embarrassed at the perception of the church of having an answer for everything hmm. and a position and an opinion and, and a comment to make on everything. But when, when we profess to worship and live in accordance with and in union with the one who has said, I am the truth. And when we profess to manifest him into the world so that the world may know him and be saved, we can't be ashamed of that position, hmm. that we do have something that we believe is intelligent and rational to contribute to any conversation. We may not be able to give a full and complete treatment of all of the aspects that need to be considered, but that we have something reasonable to say, we should absolutely and confidently maintain and not allow ourselves to be relegated to a segment of society where you may comment on these things that have to do with religion. That is a very detrimental stance to have taken. And I think we're seeing that sort of playing out right now in the response of the church. We're afraid to say something because we're not scientists. We're not epidemiologists. Mm. Uh, and right now, the appearance would be that science has the, has the ultimate answer to give to the situation. But we're forgetting that science has as its objective right now the containment of a uh, virus and the preservation of human lives uh, to the best extent that we can manage. The church, though, has as its objective the salvation of all people's immortal souls. Uh, our objective is outside of this realm. And so we shouldn't see them as contradictory. Well, you know, no one really wants to hear about the salvation of their soul right now. They just want to make sure they don't get a virus. So we should just sort of not say anything. Mm. That, that's a very uh, dangerous position to take because we're giving the position or the freedom to be compartmentalized, mm. put in the box, to be asked for our opinion when someone else who is a specialist apparently in a different field mm has decided we have the right to say something. I think we need to be confident and willing to stand up and say that science mm. is a participation in the divine ordering of the universe. Mm. We talk about scientific discovery because we are uncovering a reality that pre-exists us and our intelligence. And theology is a science. We for centuries said that theology is the queen of the sciences. And so we have something important to contribute. Uh, and so to, to sort of withdraw and hide and wait for further instruction about what we can do, even just in the privacy of our faith communities, is, I don't know if that's the, hmm. the most helpful uh, approach that we can take to give what we have to offer to the world. Hmm. You're providing a, a very important context for a comment that I want to share with you uh, from Bishop Robert Barron. And I'm interested to hear what your response to his comment is in terms of helping people work through it uh, at, a, at a very practical, 
pastoral level. Okay, so here's his comment, and and it it again keeping in mind the context uh, that you just shaped for us. Uh, his comment says, "Who could have predicted even a couple of months ago that this tragedy would occur? What do these sudden tragedies remind us of? They remind us, in a dramatic way, a truth that we all know in our bones, but that we choose typically to cover up or overlook: the contingency of the world." Which is to say, it comes into being and it passes out of being. It doesn't endure. Everything in its being is ultimately fragile. Now, it's interesting, he, he went on, Bishop Barron, to speak of uh, Aquinas' response to the contingency of our world. And he said, in fact, rather than embracing nihilism as a result of this, he saw it as a starting point to prove the existence of God. Mm. Um, because it, it leads us to question, as all scientists do, going back to your point, what is the cause mm-hmm. of things that exist? And, and Aquinas's point was that we cannot go to infinity asking that question. Eventually, practically speaking, we have to arrive at a place that is ultimately grounded in and as existence itself. Which, for Aquinas, of course, logically speaks of God. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in the context of what you just spoke, we're not talking science, we're talking theology. And yet mm-hmm. it answers a lot of the questions that people have about the fragility of the world. We all experience, whether we're, whatever point of view we come from, just as you spoke about the reality of what's happening in Italy, the fact is people are dying. Uh, whether we see it from the hand of God or a random virus, you know, that has no sort of sense or purpose, the the reality we all experience is that there's fragility in this world. Now, interestingly enough for you, if you were sitting in a congregation full of young adults who heard Bishop Barron from the pulpit make this comment, okay, mm. where would you go with this? In terms of as they walked out the door, how would you help them unpack it for their lives, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the question sort of a lot of people have is like, where do we go with this? Okay, we understand the contingency of the world. It has a finite reality. Okay. So, so where do you help people go with this? Mm-hmm. That's, that, 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 that statement of Bishop Barron, I mean, it's just quintessential Bishop Barron, and it's so... It, it, it points to what the church has to offer, right? Which is a broader perspective of reality, right? So we have the tendency to become consumed by a component of reality because it seems to be the only thing in front of us at that moment. Mm-hmm. So when you turn on the news right now or you turn on the radio, within five seconds, you will hear the word virus. That has consumed our entire reality. Mm-hmm. But, but the church, in her wisdom, and through our theological processes, has the ability to say to everyone, okay, now let's take 10,000 giant steps back and see that virus is, is just this small component playing out in one compartment of this huge drama, all of which culminates in everlasting life. And you can't escape that reality. 
that is the ultimate reality that is ever present to us at every moment of our life. And if I were to try and break that, that open with, with my young adults, I would say to them, does this excite you or scare you? Hmm. Does the contingency of the world, does the fact that everything is fading away, that, that right now at this moment a virus is, is sweeping the earth and could wipe out millions, does that scare you or excite you? Hmm. And the world would say that that's a morbid question. You know, we shouldn't even be asking such a question because, of course, we should be scared. And I'm trying to, to suggest that in faith and because of rational theological processes, we need to say there's a difference between fear and prudence. Hmm. Fear is not a virtue. Fear is actually a crippling emotion. It is hmm. an, an irrational reaction that could produce prudent reactions. Hmm. Fear is an instantaneous reaction, but then does it does it lead us to think? And I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of decisions are being made based on fear. Hmm. As opposed to, okay, I just got afraid because of confronting being confronted by this reality. Now, how will I think through what I must do next? And that's what that's what uh our faith gives us the capacity to do is, is to not be crippled by fear, but to then open up towards virtue, right? Prudence is, is a cardinal virtue and it, and it makes us say, okay, I'm not going to not let people into my church because of fear. I'm going to not let them into my church because of prudence. Hmm. I'm not afraid of getting this virus. You know, I, I, my dear mother, I love her with all my heart. Hmm. She's petrified that I continue to hear confessions. Hmm. I said, Ma, I sit six feet away from the confessional screen. We sanitize and spray it down after each person hmm. goes in. There, but there's a fear. Hmm. Well, the fear is I could get the virus. And my answer to that is, yes, <laughs> I know. And I could get it when I go to Safeway to buy a carton of milk mm -hmm. because people still go to Safeway to buy a carton of milk because mm -hmm. we need to keep living. And faith reminds us that we are living for more than our next carton of milk. We are living for eternal life because this world will pass away. Someone, when I spoke like this, I have spoken about this with people. Uh, someone I was speaking about this to recently said, well, Father, if we're not as prudent as we need to be, some have said that 1%, 1% of the whole world's population could die from this. And my answer was, our faith tells us 100% of the world's population will die. 100%. So are we preparing for that eventuality, which we are guaranteed? Or are we running around in circles gripped by fear instead of prudence because of the possibility of 1% of the world's population contracting a disease. Wow, very thoughtful, very thought, very thought-provoking. It, it, it brings me to Bishop's, uh, Bishop Barron's sort of reflection, his own response to, to Aquinas's uh, contention that this should, this should lead us to contemplate the existence of God and, and right. further evidence that God exists because of the fragility of what we're experiencing. And he says precisely to what you are saying, 
it's, it's exactly there in the fear and suffering of the world that the church needs to stand. And he uses, again, the priests such as you and, and the ministry that you've been called to. Where are we most often, um, and we think of the priests as sort of representing the church in these moments, we're at funerals, mm. we're at the, the bedsides of people in hospitals, we're at places of their deepest suffering. Mm -hmm. And why? Well, we could kind of take a, a sort of Freudian look at it and say, well, because the church and religion, after all, just provides uh, crutches in people's uh, time of psychological need. Or we can look at it in a much more profound and genuine way. If we take Jesus as the example, that was not a superficial uh, moment of Jesus on the cross. That was very real. Mm. Um, and yet, there, hanging out on the cross like we do in times of people's suffering, is because we're responding to people's instinct. Mm -hmm. Because they're searching for God. Mm -hmm. And the church is daring to be the face of God and the voice of God in those moments. And I, th I think that's very profound. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it speaks to that courage, if we talk about another virtue, of courage. Mm -hmm. To stand in the face of not only our fears but the fears of the world, with a message of hope, um, and 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 so I, I think what you're speaking about is very profound. You're really challenging us to to actually live our virtues mm -hmm. in this time. Be the church. That's what a crisis should call forth from us. Mm. I think that's the that is the grace of a crisis. Mm. A crisis shows each of us where we're really at. Mm. You know, I, I, my brother priests, you know, I, I, I have been praying intensely for my brother priests, and I hope they're praying for me at this time when we're being asked to do very little. Hmm. Well, if our entire priestly identity is bound up in, in our doing, in, our, in our, all that we accomplish in hmm. a day, well, how have we continued to be priests in this moment? Hmm. Because our people need us to continue being priests for them. Mm. They need us praying for them. They need uh, us to be more focused than ever before as we celebrate the Holy Mass. Mm. That when we pray our office, we are, we are really sensing that we're pulling the whole church along with us in our prayer. Because that's us being mm. priests. Even mm. when we're not doing all of the priestly things that we normally do. Mm. And that is extended to the whole people of God. We, in our baptism, mm. we can't be who we are anymore. We are someone new. That's what we say. You are a new creation in Christ. Mm. See in your white garment the outward sign of your Christian dignity. Bring that dignity unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. We, we can't amount all that we are to what we do. It begins with what we are, who we are. Mm. And so a moment of crisis puts a big mirror in our face and says, who are you? Not what do you do? Who are you? Mm. It, uh, it brings, brings me to the last question, which we're going to look at. What is God doing in the midst of this pandemic on earth? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm going to um, have you just kind of close with a final reflection on that. But before, uh, before you do, a a as you know, I was a... Um, uh, a convert to the Catholic faith, uh, not long, you know, about 10 years ago, so well into my adult life. 
And it was interesting. The first time I sort of sat in in, in a mass, I was struck, right? Because I, I, I was a, a practicing uh, Christian in a Protestant community. And so the Lord's Prayer, as it was called, uh, something I prayed every day, uh, struck sitting there in mass when um, I thought we were going to end the Lord's Prayer, but but the priest continued mm-hmm. with these words, which I have come to understand as, as the embolism. Mm-hmm. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, you know, Catholics, they they listen to that every day, prayer, you know, priest prays it every day. But for somebody walking in and sitting there and then being interrupted by those words, wow. I mean, when I think about the context we're in now, again, you know, we just went through a whole season of Lent of kind of reorienting ourselves, you know, to to the passion and resurrection of Jesus. And it's kind of, you know, that opportunity, I think of Lent as a time to kind of try it again for the first time, you know, it's like, go back to your faith the first time, you know, sort of go at it with fresh eyes. I look at this with fresh eyes. It's still fresh for me. And at the heart of this is everything that we've been talking about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's about resting in this sense of the, the, the um, you know, these words, like, free from sin. It's this freedom from that fear that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That safety from all distress. Well, we're safe. What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> we're, we're in the midst of all this, aren't we? Well, but safety means something different in the context of our biblical story, mm. our faith story, because it's grounded, ultimately, our safety, our salvation, in the eternity of Christ. That's how I read it, mm. right? So again, moving from contingency, what is the ultimate ground of our being? It's in the, it's in the love of God, the eternal mm. love of God. Mm-hmm. So it leads to our final quote, what is God doing in this pandemic on earth that, that we can just walk away with a sense of, of how, how is God at work in our lives? Mm-hmm. Well, he, that, uh, that beautiful reflection you just gave on that, uh, the embolism of the Lord's Prayer at Mass, I think I, I, I'd never occurred to me to think of it from that perspective, but I think you, you actually just perfectly summarized what we could say God is doing in all of this. Um, he's delivering us. Hmm. You know, he's delivering us. And w- when you think about a delivery nowadays, you'd imagine someone who comes and drops off a box from Amazon. Hmm. But I think when you, when you really, in biblical literature, there were two deliverances. There was being set free from evil and there was bringing new life into the world. So th- that, th- mm-hmm. that word meant one or the other of those two things. Uh, and both had attached to them uh, bitter suffering and pain. And both had uh, the most unimaginably happy ending. And I think, what is God doing right now? He's delivering us from ourselves. He is 
I, I think it's, uh, I mean, you've got to have an entire other podcast on the question of whether this is God's uh, positive will or permissive will mm. and whether it's this is a chastisement uh, or is something that he's merely allowing to happen according to nature running its course. Um, and there's, there's reasonable debate to be had about either of those perspectives, but mm. both of them have the same ending. God is saving us. That's what God does. He saves us. And almost always he saves us from ourselves. And so when, when we end the Lord's Prayer and we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As a priest, that, that cry of the heart, deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Hmm. Graciously grant peace in our days. That by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress. This is this is our prayer, hmm. but it culminates in that last phrase as we wait in joyful hope. Hmm. And I think what what is the world missing right now is we are forgetting that we're waiting. We're waiting. That hasn't changed. COVID-19 doesn't change that. We are waiting for the coming of our Lord. And we will either wait in anxiety and fear and sin, or we will wait in joyful hope. Father Christina, I want to I want to thank you for your time. It's always a joy to speak with you. Well, it's very mutual, Lance. I I really enjoy our conversations. Well, look, we're we're going to do this again. I think we identified at least two podcasts out of this conversation that we need to continue with. So um, great. So if you're open to that, I'd I'd love to uh, catch up with you again. In the meantime, I think especially in this time, um, I'd, I'd like you to to offer uh, just a benediction for us yes. and, and those who uh, those who will be listening with us. So if you could do that and um, and know that our prayers and blessings are with you as well. Thank you. Okay, so, let us pray. Mm-hmm. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. God, our Father in heaven, our lives are in your hands. And on this beautiful Easter day, when you raised your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to the new life of the resurrection by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill each of us with the joyful hope as we long for his return. Set us free from fear and anxiety and assure us of your constant presence, never to be undone or outdone in our lives. We commend ourselves to your mercy and we ask that you would never let us be separated from you. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Cristino. Thank you and uh, stay healthy as we say to everyone nowadays. So that's it, friends. Thank you for listening. And until next time, as Father Christian said, take care of yourself and each other.